Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Keisha and Denise, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I'm Keisha, and this is my co-host, Denise. Hey, everyone. How are you today? I'm good. I feel like it's finally some sunny spring weather here in Toronto and it is giving me life. How about you? It is so beautiful out. Um, I am a hard medium today. You know. <laughs> uh, He's just having some struggles. <laughs> I'm having some struggles. I have a strained neck or a strained muscle in my neck that is really causing me some pain. So if you hear any like crying throughout the episode, it's just me. Or any crunching, it's just like your neck moving from one <laughs> angle to the next. <laughs> but other than that, I'm good. Um, I actually have something to tell you. What? <laughs> I think we were talking before we started, but I didn't tell you because I wanted to save it for the episode. Good. So we are recording on Tuesday, April 12th, and today is the luckiest day of the year. Did you know what I'm talking about? No, please tell me. Oh, (laughs) today there is a once in a lifetime astrological event taking place where Jupiter and Neptune are meeting in Pisces. I love it. Normally that would mean nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) I have no information about the planets, but I saw it on Facebook and I was like, that seems like so interesting. Let's look into it a little bit. So The last time that this occurred was in 1856, and it's not going to happen again until 2188. So Jupiter is growth-oriented and loves to expand our minds, while Neptune brings us intuition and dreams. Our spiritual sides will be easier to access, and our creativity will be flowing. Lisa Stardust, just wait, it gets even better. Ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Lisa Stardust, the author of Saturn Return Survival Guide and the Astrology Astrology Deck, says that this is the best day of your entire life for manifesting your dreams. Wow. And that was from refinery29.com. But yeah, it's the best day of our lifetime to manifest what we want. Guys, I don't know if I'm more shook about it being the luckiest day of the year or that Keisha has looked up something (laughs) astrological on the podcast and reported live on it. I can't get this (laughs) any weird energy stuff. Like, it's like day by day, she opens up a little bit more to the weirdness. Like, I thought you would love it. So I was like, I'm loving it, but I'm also shook that you you went down this rabbit hole all by yourself. I know. And I've actually known about it. That's I've known about it since before today, too. So I've been holding on to this astrological <laughs> secret. <laughs> wow, that must have been hard for you. It truly was. <laughs> I've been so excited to talk to you about it. So I don't know if that means that when we are done recording, we should do like some manifestation journaling. I've never done it before. I think we should. And maybe, maybe like- just some future self kind of journaling yeah yeah I love it the, the energy is potent we are thriving we can feel it <laughs> in the air it's like the first beautiful day in Toronto the stars are aligned or I guess the planets are aligned <laughs> things are happening I love it I love it I'm down let's do it perfect 
So we're coming to you guys live here on Alcohol Awareness Month. And we felt like that was, you know, an important topic of conversation given, um, you know, the, the mission with done with debauchery. Mm-hmm. And um, so we wanted to just like, I guess, talk to you guys a little bit about what that month, what the month is all about um, and how that ties into, you know, our lives personally and with the done with debauchery mission. Yeah, absolutely. So alcohol awareness month is April every year. Um, it's something that's been organized by the national council on alcoholism and drug dependence. Uh, the idea is to educate on the dangers of alcoholism and other issues relating to alcohol. So I feel like a really big part of that is the stigma that is associated with alcoholism or unhealthy drinking habits and that denial that a lot of people feel when trying to check in with themselves and just try to establish, like, is there a problem here? Yeah. And I think that, you know, the destigmatization of alcoholism or any kind of addiction is so important in a getting people to acknowledge their behavior, but then also be willing to ask for support. Um, And I think that a lot of people avoid acknowledging it in themselves um, because they feel so much shame around it. It's almost like once you admit it, it becomes something something bigger than if you just mm-hmm. like keep it under the rug you know a hundred percent and like I definitely have felt like that um in the past and still do sometimes like I feel like I do have a lot of shame about like navigating those conversations with people about why I'm not drinking like what does that mean for me and it always comes back to those labels that we always talk about of like am I an alcoholic or can I just choose to remove alcohol from my life mm-hmm Yeah. And it's more like around people forming judgments, like as soon as you've made that decision to remove alcohol or, you know, change your behavior, even let's say moderate or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. people make assumptions about what that must mean. It's like, oh, they must not be able to control themselves or it might, you know, they must be an alcoholic if they would make that choice. And I think for me, that's where I get really uncomfortable is like those false assumptions that that people make. Yeah. And those labels that other people can put on you. And especially when we're in a society where it is so normalized to celebrate with alcohol, if you're feeling down, have alcohol, like it is just the norm. So being the one to speak out and say, like, actually, I'm not going to engage in that behavior is really hard. And if people don't perceive that they have a problem with alcohol, like it can be really hard for them to understand uh, and relate to it. Yeah. And I think there's also like a major lack of education in terms of, you know, what is concerning. So like, it's like you take obviously a lot of, and there's like a lot of red flags probably before you get to the point of like full fledged addiction or alcoholism where your behaviors are probably concerning. And I think we've on many episodes talked about some of those behaviors for us. Um, And I think, you know, some people may not be aware of, you know, those things being red flags. And I think when the behavior is very common amongst your social group, then you just use other people's behavior to like normalize it. And you're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, Hmm. Karen drank 10 drinks too. 
yeah, you're gauging your own behavior based off like what those around you are doing. So if you're not drinking more than them, like what is everybody an alcoholic then or is nobody like there's not really any space in the middle. Yeah. And unless you decide to do like, you know, your own Google research, it's like, how much does the average person know about, you know, continuing to binge drink and what that means about the future and the long-term consequences that that might mean for, you know, your health. And I don't, I don't think like a lot of people are super educated on, on some of those repercussions and may not even be aware of the risks that they're actively taking if they continue to drink in the ways that they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not just like how it can negatively impact like your life, your job, the way you feel about yourself, but even just like the health risks, like the increased cancer risk, there's just so many negative associations. Yeah. Like your brain health, your memory, like your mental health. Like I think the list is, is pretty endless. And I don't think that I really knew any of those things when, um, you know, I was a teenager or even when I was like in my university years where binge drinking was absolutely the norm. I remember being at like sorority parties, um, and frat parties and like literally doing like funneling beer upside down, like literally (laughs) the most unhealthy drink. The thought of you drinking a beer is (laughs) There probably was no other option because I'm pretty sure I would not have picked that even at that (laughs) age. But uh, I think at frat parties, it's you have limited options. Obviously, I was still motivated to change my state. So, and I think a big part actually of the you know the Alcohol Awareness Month is actually uh, partly around uh, college binge drinking. Um, and bringing awareness to that to that behavior and some of the conter- the concerns around it because there uh, seems to be like a major lack of education to that age group in terms of of the risks um, associated with it, not just like safety risks, but mm-hmm. you know long term long term health risks. Yeah, but severe safety risks as well. Yeah. Like, as you said, I think they, they really like, they really overlap, but it's interesting because you know what, like, I think back to me, like it in my college, like years or university years, I mean, I probably would not have, have listened. Um, <laughs> I would have been like, great. Yeah. Thanks for the information. I'm still. Thanks for that hot tip. I'm going to continue on how I was. <laughs> yeah. It, agreed. Agreed. But maybe like, I don't know, though. I think part of it is also maybe educating the parents on how to speak to their kids about it prior to them going to school so that maybe you're making a decision, more active decisions in those situations rather than just getting yourselves into them and having to navigate them on on your own. Hmm. And that's if the parents are even like aware that their behavior is also maybe not acceptable. Like it can definitely be a generational issue that if the parents are drinking and romanticizing alcohol and that's what the child has grown up in, like that behavior is normal. So when they go to a college scenario and everyone is still continuing that behavior, like it's really hard to see the other side of it of like what the dangers are and why wouldn't you do this if it's what you've grown up seeing being modeled for you every day. Yeah. And I saw like a stat, even though it's like, it's such an old stat, but um, problematic drinking, whether it would be like, let's say it could be like damage to a property. It can be health related car accidents, like literally um, 
was 250 billion in in 2010 in the US alone in terms of like the economic cost of problematic drinking behavior and i'm sure it is like way more now being you know 12 years yeah later from that but like that is an absolutely massive number to think of economically and I think that just goes to show like how widespread the problematic drinking is because um you know that that's an absolute like that's an absolutely massive and when you take into account that it's not only affecting the person who is consuming the alcohol it's it's like affecting their friends their family if you are behind the wheel like uh, people that you don't even have a connection to can be impacted by those choices so it just shows like really how far it can reach a hundred percent i i agree there's like a major trickle down effect Mm -hmm. um it affects yeah so so many people so many people I think it is really common for people to suffer in silence with their addiction or unhealthy drinking habits. And that's something that I definitely have done myself over the years. Um, And as part of Alcohol Awareness Month and trying to take away some of that stigma, I feel like I do have to share like the amount of time that I've been alcohol free from And we're on episode, what, nine or 10 now, and neither of us have shared that information. And I know that for me, it it has been a conscious decision. Um, I'm I'm two months, just over two months alcohol-free this time around. And I almost feel like embarrassed about sharing that information and that I'm feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome, like the premise of the podcast is to really like create awareness and share our message that there's different paths to sobriety. There should be no shame and embarrassment, but I have felt like some shame about sharing that, especially when there's so many other people out there who are having sobriety podcasts that have been sober for one year, three years, five years. I kind of feel like who am I to, to have a platform and share like my, my opinions on everything when like two months, like in the grand scheme of things, like, is that a long time? But I think it is more about like that continual effort and like showing up and like being honest about like what's really going on, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like, I just want to acknowledge you because I think one of the main things that the, you know, alcohol awareness month is about is you know, destigmatizing, which I think is like the concept of bringing what you feel shame around or um, is like out into the light, out into the open. And so, you know, even just putting a name to the fact that, you know, you don't feel like you've been sober enough to have a voice, like just goes to show, like, I feel you know, like there's some, there's like obviously some shame around that, that you experience or some imposter syndrome and things like that. And yeah, I think it's a big step to just say like, Hey, this is where I'm at. And, you know, and just to, to take some power and say, no, but like your voice is still, you know, is still worthy in this arena yeah. because everybody's at different stages. And as you said, it's like also this time around and mm-hmm. 
and yeah, like, I don't know the path, you know, to me also is, is not linear because honestly, I think for me that like, when I really think about where my path to where I am right now began, like I was probably in my late twenties and it was probably like the first time that I was like, okay, like I'm partying too much. And like, you know, I also was having some issues and I need to talk to a therapist, but that, you know, without taking that first step of seeing a therapist, like when I was 29, I wouldn't have stopped drinking for like a year and a half. So like, I don't feel like it's all about the amount of days that you have sober under your belt that gives you the validity to have valuable things to share or to not. Like, I think the process of, of getting to this point and going through the navigations of, Hey, this works, this doesn't, I've tried this, this doesn't. And maybe even some, you know, sprinkled in periods of drinking in there is still like all a very valid path, um, to, to sobriety. Yeah. And without those experiences of like, maybe going back like a couple of times, which I've done, you've done. And just like, I feel like you can't get to that long-term point of being firm in your decision. At least I can't personally without experimenting and then coming back and checking in on how I'm feeling by when I'm making these behavior choices. And I really wish that instead of like shame, like I was feeling proud that like, Hey, like I am consciously like making this decision. I've done an inventory of what's working for me in my life and what makes me feel good. And removing alcohol is like a big factor for me right now. So like, I wish that like there, it, well, there wasn't so much stigma and shame like associated with that. And that like, I would be like kind of screaming from like the rooftops instead. Yeah. Like, and yeah, yeah. And I think it's so much easier to be hard on ourselves or critical of ourselves than to, you know, take the time to like acknowledge and celebrate, you know, some of the steps that we are taking forward. And I, I had been sober for, I guess about 40 or 50 days and, um, had made the decision to have some drinks when I was out on a date recently. Um, and you know, that's not something that like, I feel, I feel comfortable really like sharing right now either, because I also feel like then it's like, well, then my voice or, you know, my process and my decision that day, like carries a certain amount of, of shame. And I even went through like a whole spiral of like, I'm just going to do it and not tell you. Um, and, and you know what, and it's not that like, and I feel like I don't even want to say that on something like a podcast because I don't want to encourage other people to, um, you know, decide to, to, to invite alcohol back into their lives if they're, if they're not safe to do so. And it's not that I necessarily felt like I was safe to do so, but I also don't feel like I was in a situation, um, where I felt at high risk and I don't regret my decision. I really was feeling like, um, I had some other stressors going on in my life and I just like needed a, a break from like white knuckling things through. And that for me felt like the right decision, honestly, at that time. And I know that like a lot of sobriety purists are really going to probably, I just made that term up. (laughs) I was like, wow, you've done some research. I literally, maybe it is a real term. I don't know. I think so. It is now for sure. (laughs) I feel like we'll probably really hate that. Like it has to, and and I guess my point, because I feel like I'm kind of rambling right now, is that it really feels like in sobriety, things have to be this way. And if you don't do it this way and you don't have this amount of time, then like, 
you know, you don't have a voice to share or you don't have enough knowledge to share and it's likely you're going to fuck it up. Or if you do X, then that means you have to start over. It's like this, but like the reality is it's and restarting not that clock, like feels almost like, like a failure in a, a sense. failure. I didn't reset the clock just so you know, the app. Because- Yeah, I didn't reset the app because I actually sat with it and thought about it. And I was like, no, like, no, like that doesn't, that doesn't change the the path. And I feel like for some reason that act of like changing that, like it does, I don't know, it doesn't need to be that pure or linear to still be on the path. And so I made the decision to not change it. I don't know if I'll go back and do it again and change it later, but (laughs) you know, like the podcast is also called done with debauchery. And what I'm fully done with is not like I'm going to be drinking regularly moving forward from here, but I'm done with the the destructive partying. Like that is for me, the, the really big piece of it. And I don't feel like I need to reset the clock until I do that. (laughs) And like, that's your choice. And like, we're not encouraging people who are like, happy and feeling confident to are alcohol free to like start experimenting with alcohol. Like only you can make that choice for yourself. But yeah, I think that like, if you are like comfortable with that, then like, that's your journey right now. And I do agree that like the number of days and like keeping track of it, like in the app, like for me, like when I hit those milestones, like it does feel so rewarding. And I am so happy to be able to like track that process and see looking back how far I've come and the things that I've been able to accomplish in these last few months that I don't think I would have been able to if I was drinking regularly. But I think it also comes from like an ego point where like, Mm. I want to get to this certain number of days. And then like, that's really going to prove to myself that like, yeah, like I am sober and like, I can be happy alcohol free. And it's almost like what we talked about with like replacing your addiction and like always like chasing like that next dopamine hit. I feel like I'm always like at this point trying to chase that next milestone to end meaning, like more meaning to the decisions around sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely really relate like relate to that that it's almost like that when then game you know mm-hmm. it's like when I get to x or when I achieve x yeah. then you know I'm gonna feel this way like I'm gonna feel happy I'm gonna feel like I'm enough like I'm gonna feel like my voice then you know is is valid to be shared like but the reality is is like that point never like you're always it's yeah. always the thing when you're there and I do feel like that with apps or anything that like kind of like scores you or you count things on like it really does fuel the ego not the soul mm-hmm. um and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that though i think it's a really great tool to inspire motivation and remind ourselves to take a moment to kind of like celebrate our accomplishments and that's part of the reason why i felt like i was like no i made that decision intentionally And I was comfortable with it. And even though I did experience some anxiety afterwards, and it's almost because I felt like I had to do it this way versus not. And it was like, I realized around other people's beliefs and projections around how I should be, um, you know, going down this road of sobriety. It wasn't really from me. And, And, you know, I feel like it's really important for me for this process to be mine and not have so many, um, external influences. Cause I think so, so often we look outside of ourselves for guidance and 
what we should do rather than like checking in with ourselves and be like, Hey, like what, what should I do in this situation? Like what's right for me here? As we go through Alcohol Awareness Month, we encourage you to be curious about your relationship with alcohol and assess what's working for you and what might not be. We don't claim to have all the answers, and we hope that sharing our experiences will empower others to share theirs as well. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening. This is Denise and Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.